Hey guys, you're listening to Drunken Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. And we are back after a week off. We took a single episode break to recover from back-to-back music festivals, where one where you flew to Chicago and the other where I (laughs) flew to San Francisco. Yes, Um, a very tiring two weeks on uh, a week off was much needed. So um, this is our favorite time of the year, too. So I'm excited that we came back and it's October and we're doing Spooktober episodes. Um, Anyways, (laughs) it is the first episode of the month. Um, So it's Stephanie's Music Corner. She's going to take probably about 15 seconds to actually get to it. And I'm just going to fill the silence because Oscar is standing on her desk and she's doing absolutely nothing to get rid of him. He's in a bitey mood. Um, also, I spilled, like, probably half of my beer on my desk, so that's what he's smelling. Oh, is he licking it? Is he trying no, to No, I cleaned it up. It's just, you can, it smells like Oktoberfest over here. Ah. He All smells right. the bread. And the caramel, and the biscuit, you know. Um, yeah. So, the first album I'm going to talk about that came out in the month of September... Um, I actually think all five albums I'm going to highlight came out over the course of two weeks. So um, September was a very big month for music. There was a lot that came out. So I'm just going to highlight my favorites because there's way there's way too many like nines and eights to like highlight everything. Um, so the first one I want to highlight came out on September 16th. It is the second album from rena sawayama the album is called hold the girl so rena um came out her debut album dropped in 2020 and uh it was very popular it's very good her music's amazing somebody on the internet called her an industry plant and her response was i'm in my 30s if somebody made me a plant they did not do a good job growing it <laughs> So um, she's a fantastic singer. This album is very poppy and dancey. Um, it's just very fun to listen to. And I was just smiling and enjoying it the whole way through. So I actually gave this a perfect 10. I absolutely loved this album. What I love about Rena is just her like absolute range. Like she's done like metal. Yeah. Uh, and then she like turned around as pop. Like I love yeah. that about her. Yeah. She does a lot within a single album even like yeah. sonically. So it's just... Everything's good. I love her. She's amazing. Also, Trevor sent me a meme on Tumblr making fun of her album cover because it's like her and this very round bodysuit. And it said me leaving Target with that giant ball shoved up my ass. (laughs) Wait, he also sent me that meme. (laughs) The uh, second album I'd like to talk about also came out on September 16th. It is the fourth album from the Chicago-based band and my neighbors, Whitney. I can hear Oscar crying in the background. <laughs> Steve gave him a treat to shut him up. Maybe he's meowing, but I can hear him. I don't know why it's funny, but it is. Uh, so Whitney's new album is called Spark. Um, it's very different than anything else I've heard them do. They actually use a lot of like more electronics in this. 
Whitney's kind of known for being like soft and acoustic-y sounding. Um, and this was very different for them. I actually got to go see them play their entire this entire album live back last December. It was like one of those like no phone shows where my phone was yeah. in a little bag thing. And they played the entire album start to finish. Yeah, that's when they did the like tour of Chicago, right? Yeah, like they did like five, five shows in Chicago at various small venues. So I saw them play Shubas. Yeah, it was really cool. I love that. I gave this album a perfect 10. I thought it was so unique and different. And it it kept a lot of the things that I enjoy about Whitney, both like pushing them in a different direction at the same time. Very good. Loved it. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is a favorite band of both of ours. Um, they released their second album on September 23rd, and this is the new album from Sports Team called Gulp. Which is a name. I love this album. This album is amazing. Um, um, I'm actually a little surprised that you gave it the rating that you did, because when we were talking about it the day it came out, you were like, I don't like this as much. Um, no, I said I liked it more. Oh, you, you asked, did say you liked it more. Sorry. You, you asked if that. it was as good as Camel Crew, and I was like, imagine Camel Crew, but better. <laughs> I meant the song specifically. I know. Oh, I know. Okay. That album is uh, called Deep Down Happy. Yeah. Um. So... It's got a lot of the same, like, catchy energy that the first album does, and I just think it's a little bit more evolved, but in a really positive way. Um, this album, actually, they delayed the release by two months because they wanted it to release at the same time as the vinyl, and their vinyl was delayed, so they pushed this release twice. So yeah. I've been waiting on this album for months. We were supposed to have a Blur versus Oasis situation with them and uh, the Lounge Society, but... That Alas, was going to be did not happen. Yeah, that did not happen. We were we were we were prepared to pick our side. <laughs> um, I gave this album a ten as well. Um, it was really good. The next one I'm going to talk about is the singer Alex G, formerly known as Sandy Alex G. Um, I was going to ask you if it was Sandy Alex G. Same guy. Yeah. Um, this is his. Oh God, how many albums has he had? One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight. This is his ninth album. Um, it's called God Save the Animals. It I I absolutely loved this album. I thought it was phenomenal because it combined some of like the more darker sounds of his early music with some of his like clearly he's become a better musician throughout the course of his music career. So he's got this music talent. And he's making it sound like these darker tones that he used to bring into his early music. So it's like a great blend of everything he's ever done. Keep talking. I want to oh, see okay. if like, I can hear it. Oh, okay. Um, I gave this one a 10 out of 10 as well. And then the last one I'm going to highlight is... I actually listened to this today. Like, that's how... I just got around to listening to it. This album also came out on September 23rd. It's the fourth studio album from Deluxe. It's D-E-L-U-X. Uh, it's called Do You Need a Release? And these, it's like, they call themselves an American post-disco duo. It has a lot of the same old like electronic sounds of like the early 2000s. 
So it's like very fun to listen to. And it just literally start to finish. I was like, wow, this is great. Wow, this is great. Like, I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, and I gave it a nine. It's a very a high music month. I'm disappointed in you. Because uh, you have four tens and one nine. And there are other tens in here that you didn't talk about. And it could have been a straight ten month. What was the other and... ten I didn't talk about? Um, so this is like a first, I think we're one of the first times or one of the only times that this has happened, but you listen to Oliver Sim and preoccupations on the same day and you gave them both tens and you never do that. Wait. Oh fuck. Those four September albums. Shit. Those were two I meant to talk about. I did not. I completely missed that those were September albums. Well, you'll have to wait for my end of year recap to hear. Honestly, about though, I do want to just like plug Oliver Sim because that album is incredible. Oliver Sim um, used to be the bassist and male singer for the XX, and this is his first still, solo album. Still the bassist. Well, I guess still and is because the XX singer is still of the a band. XX. Um, but this is his first solo album, and my understanding is he was not going. He was never going to record a solo album. And Jamie XX of XX and DJ fame um, convinced him to do a syllable album after they recorded something together. So we got Hideous Bastard because of that. And it is just an incredible, like, one of, I'm probably going to make, like, my top ten this year uh, albums. It's fantastic. So Stephanie didn't talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, this is one that I think will come up in our end-of-year discussions. Absolutely. Um... September was really hard to pick five specific albums to highlight because there were so many good ones. Like we got, like you said, Preoccupations, uh, Oliver Sim. We had Joe, The Baths, Crack Cloud released an album. Um, Stereo Yeah, Lab. yeah, yeah. Stereo Lab, Bjork released Built a new spill. album. Yeah, like it's it's just so many. So many. <laughs> like yeah. there's, yeah, it was great. It was a great month for music. Yeah, it really was. There's lot a lot of uh, heavy hitters that I think are going to be contenders for album of the year. Yeah, I agree. Um, cool. So with that, let's get into the beer. Uh, Stephanie, what are you drinking today? Um, so the beer that I dumped all over my desk is the beer that I'm drinking today. <laughs> um, I'm drinking Fez beer from our friend Tyler down at Modern Dune. Oh, that's a cute name. Yeah, it, the can, I think I sent you a photo when I got it. It's literally got Fez, Tyler's dog, on the can. So it, yeah, it's I a, love that. It's their, it's their version of a Fest beer. Yeah, I think it's an adorable idea. Um, I'm drinking Tart Break. Uh, it's a Guava Berliner Weiss from Shadow Puppet, Shadow Puppet Brewing um, in Livermore, California. I'm, I've never had this before, and I'm a little worried that it's going to be very, very sour, but they call it a baby sour on the back. At least um, they tell you it's a baby sour. So I'm hoping it's not super sour, because it, it could go badly. This could go many directions. So my beer is super malty and light, and it's a little bit sweeter, um, but it's, it's very good. It's a very good fest beer. They actually describe this really well on the back. It's uh, They say this is tart and tangy wheat ale um, with a pink guava puree, very light and refreshing with a mild tanginess. Uh, the baby sour is a great everyday beer, especially in warm weather, and also a great introduction to those just starting to appreciate sours. And I actually do think that this is 
It's not very sour. It does have a light tanginess. It's got a very heavy, like, uh, upfront grapefruit flavor. And then you get, like, weediness in the back end. Yeah, uh, this is really good. We've had this around the apartment for a few weeks now. We went down to the Junior Tap Room a couple weeks ago and did a whole pickup of a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. And this was one that we had at the Tap Room and we absolutely had to buy. Nice. Um, so do you have three words for yours? Yeah, um, I'm going to say sweet. I'm actually going to say crushable because this is going down pretty quick. And then I'm going to say, um, I'm actually going to say grainy rather than multi. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to call this like guava, um, weedy, and dry. When you say weedy, do you mean wheat? Like wheat or weed? Wheat. Okay. Because it sounds the same either way. So that's why I wanted to clarify. I'll pronounce the WH as wheat. Wheat. Cool. So let's get into the episode. Um, yeah. It's funny because like we just were talking about episodes and like we had something else planned, but I think we wanted to prepare more for it. So this kind of was just something we were talking about like in general. Um, we're like, this is a great idea. Um, so we wanted to talk through like horror movie marketing, um, specifically like the idea of like viral marketing, guerrilla marketing um, that we see a lot with horror today and like kind of sparsely with like earlier horror but really like what kind of defines certain movies um in their genre yeah so the reason that we're actually talking about this today um so the movie smile just released here in the states and they did this really interesting um marketing thing this last what last weekend Last weekend or like last two weeks or so, something like that. Yeah, they did at a baseball game. They, the, well, so the concept of the smile is like, it's very similar to like It Follows or The Ring, where like you see the thing and then it follows, it, it, it becomes, it like you, haunts you. It haunts you and then you die of the thing. You know, it's and then the chain it, like, reaction. And then passes on to somebody else. And then yeah. They not, yeah. It's like the chain reaction of the ring, the grudge. Yeah. Um, so, hold on. I clicked the wrong link. So I think I saw it first on a TikTok. I don't know if you saw it on that. I think I sent it to you on a TikTok. Um, but basically they were paying actors to attend sports games. Um, I think specifically a baseball game is what we saw. Uh, and to just like sit there and smile. Like in the background, makeup on, yeah. Like just grinning creepily. And the TikTok that we saw was them like walking or like them turning and staring at you. And so just like imagine seeing this at a baseball game or like some sports ball game and you just like – See this creepy person just like grinning. Yeah, um, and so, so that's kind of... it started no, at um, sounds like the Marlins versus the Mets game in New York this last a week ago from today, um, and it wasn't particularly noticeable the people that were attending, but it started because somebody was sitting beside like, a, by one of the dugouts with a shirt that said smile on doing that horrifying grin and they got it on like the jumbotron and then like then it kind of went through various people getting the smile through the jumbotron 
And like that's kind of oh. how it was played out, and it was a marketing campaign. So like getting on the drumotron was absolutely intentional then to like then yeah. spread it. Yeah, right. That's so so smart. yeah, so it was like a stadium marketing thing during an MLB game. Although people are saying that it happened other places afterwards too. So it started in New York, and then it spread from there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's smart to have done it in other locations. Like, the, the only thing I knew about this movie was I saw it as, like, a trailer of it mm-hmm. um, when I went to go see Nope. And so I kind of forgot about it until, like, I saw this again. And I think it's a really smart way to get people talking about it. Having, like, the word smile on their shirt is, like, a very smart way to just kind of um, continue, like, marketing it and, like, kind of peak interest especially if you've never heard of it like all you see is like news articles or like tiktoks of these people smiling and then you're gonna look it up and like potentially watch the trailer and be interested in it so i, I do think somebody it's a really smart way they did it as well in the background of the today show yeah i saw that uh, so, i'm yeah. looking at the same article that you are i yeah it, i mean it's one of i pulled it up but yeah, yeah it's that's a really interesting i mean concept to do especially right now because it's hard, I think right now it's still kind of hard to um, do events in person sometimes, to feel comfortable doing major major marketing campaigns in person. So yeah. this is an easy way, it's a very easy way to get, because these are like, you know, national games, to get mm-hmm. a lot of people seeing your single, small, tiny activation, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's... A really clever way to do it that I don't think I've seen been done. Not like this, no. Um, when it comes to, like, viral or guerrilla marketing. So the first point of reference I actually was able to find, and I'm sure it's happened before um, in various ways, but the movie Macabre came out in 1958. And in Time Magazine, they released a, like, you know, basically like a little press about the movie. And in the press, it said producers of the film undertake to pay the sum of $1,000 in the event of death by fright of any of the members of the audience during the production. What movie was this? Um, So it's called Macabre. It came out in 1958. I haven't seen it. I'm just reading that like this was like another example of like early, early, you know, like hidden marketing to convince people to go see the movie Mm -hmm. the same guy that came up with this stunt um i think he was the he wasn't he was a marketer that was brought on um by the director he also did a couple of crazy things where during the film house on haunted hill he had a skeleton like on a zip line fly through the crowd in the middle of the movie (laughs) And then um, in one of his movies, they also did electric buzzers in the chair that went off during the movie, specifically like as like a scare point. So this mm-hmm. was like a, a really early A, guerrilla marketing and B, like surprise horror movie activity, <laughs> bringing you in to the film. Um, I feel like the first one I can think of, and I, I feel like it, we might just start talking through yeah, certain let's do movies. It. And, um, the first one that I can, like, I remember being a part of, what, like, or experiencing would have been, like, the Blair Witch Project. And, like, I wasn't even, like, the target audience because I was Too like, young. six or seven. But I remember, like, my family 
uh, talking about like being really excited because they really like lean leaned in leaned in to the found footage um <clears throat> like uh, aspect of it and like they created like missing person posters they created a website that like detailed the the Blair Witch and like the urban legend they interviewed like the victims families from the movie to like make it seem like it was real and then they also started to like feed false information into internet threads um to like hype up the movie and make it seem more real and i think that i would say that's probably the first experience that's the first I time i can remember experiencing it and i'm sure just because of the rise of the internet in the late 90s this was like this i don't think can ever be done again i would agree and i think like from what i've been reading it is considered like the biggest viral marketing campaign that's ever been done for a horror movie and i agree it's because like they can never do this again like the way the internet had just come about there's no way like you could fact check it like the people didn't know like what to search you could yeah. look at Blair Witch Project and there weren't like fact checkers or like all this information out there yeah um yeah my, so I, I do agree I also remember when this came out my older brother went and saw this in theaters in like the art cinema in our area so it wasn't even like a major movie theater it was like a one-off mm-hmm. really like small release theater. yeah and so I just remember him talking about how he thought it was real because at that time, oh, my like, family, like when they went to go see it, they were like, this is messed up. Like, this is real. Um, I actually was watching. I saw it on TikTok. Part of the reason it became it felt so real watching it. And I did not know this, but this is like my cool fun fact about the movie now that I've heard this. They basically like they were filming it themselves the whole time. The creators, there was no script. The creators basically would send them, you know, a GPS, they had a GPS coordinator and they would go follow the GPS coordinates on the map. And whenever they would get to the coordinate, there was like a box that was like flagged. So they knew what to, how to find it. Obviously you never saw it on camera. And inside of that were like film tubes. And each film tube was like labeled for the individual character. And, um, they couldn't see each other's film tubes. So they didn't know. It kind of said, like, what's happening in this scene? What's your character's motivation? What your character needs to kind of do? And they didn't know what each other's were. So they are like, the reactions are real. Yeah. Obviously, it's all fake. But the way they went about putting that together, where they, as the actors, didn't know what was coming or what to expect or how to prepare for it, that's all real. And that's why I think the movie itself is so, like, kind of fucked up when you watch it. But putting all of that together is, like, insane. <laughs> no, I think that that makes sense. Like, you can't fake that, like, like surprise that they see yeah. sometimes and, like, the intensity of it outside of, like, legitimately just not knowing. Right. Um, so going off of the Blair Witch Project... Another film that did that pretty successfully would have uh, was Paranormal Activity 1. Um, and so part of what made Paranormal Activity 1 so successful was like the, the not knowing if it was real or not. And I think part of that even was just how low budget it was. Mm-hmm. It was so low budget that it was just like hard to not believe it was real. And my understanding is part of the marketing that went into that was them, like, talking about how low budget it was and, Mm -hmm. like, how long it had taken to get into theaters and all of that 
which kind of lent it to like it being real or yeah. it not being real but like it took so long to get out there that maybe it was real one thing i read too um in and i remember because i was obviously i would have been in high school or college when that one came out um the only thing you saw in the trailer was the audience reaction you did not mm-hmm. see a single clip of film in the trailer the trailer was said paranormal activity and showed the audience reacting and that was yeah. it and then they actually they asked you to go online basically to contact your theaters to get it like they used social media was pretty popular coming up pretty heavy at that time mm-hmm. they used people on social media to contact their theaters to get it into more theaters into more theaters and they saw they said hey you ask for this you get it and then that's kind of how it spread so quickly because i feel like that movie went also from nowhere to everywhere so fast yeah it's like i think it's considered one of the most successful or it's the most successful blumhouse film because they bought it for five thousand, and then they made like hundreds of millions of dollars off of it so i feel like it's really interesting that we're talking kind of through the time in how like social media and the internet has kind of affected these viral marketing so i do want to go back in time a little bit to talk about uh cannibal holocaust um and that's a like a, a kind of it was an italian horror movie um mm-hmm. leaning into like cannibal exploitation films that were very popular at the time i think it was like the 80s uh came out in 1980 yeah yeah so uh part of what they did here was the the film came out it's extremely violent extremely horrific there's actual like animal death but they like released it with little to no marketing uh and within two weeks the italian government seized all copies of it and put the director on trial for various crimes i think the first one was obscenity uh and then after that they thought it was a snuff film so they put him on trial for murder uh, and because of that, like, it started to get released, and I, I don't know how, because they had all copies of it, um, but they, they did start to get released in other countries, um, and then it was pulled from that. So part of the marketing that he wanted to do was that all of the actors signed an agreement that once this film came out, they could not appear in any media, any advertising, like, any kind of, like, pop culture, anything, and recordings for one year to really like kind of enforce the fact that they're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the, the practical effects were so realistic that they legitimately seemed like they had died. So <laughs> on trial, he had to reveal some, some of the ways that they had recorded the film. Ah. Um, and the big one is the girl that's being impaled mm-hmm. or that is impaled. They show how they actually faked that scene with the bikes with a bike seat and then her holding like a piece of the pole in her mouth. And they, he had to call up the, the actors and ask them to do like a, uh, an interview on TV to show that they were still alive. So like, that's a like, kind of a situation where because there was no internet and there's no presence, um, the viral marketing almost went too far. And like the guy almost went to jail. The yeah. Director almost went to jail for uh, it being too realistic, which is something that I think, like Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity, like sort of benefit from there being an internet to like kind of prove that it's not real. Right. Yeah. I totally hear you with that. 
Oh, so I was actually, I, this was one when I was doing some digging into this that I completely forgot that this was a thing. And I think this was a, a hilariously good um, viral marketing campaign. So The Last Exorcism came out, I don't know, a couple years ago now. Mm-hmm. The market, the main marketing they did was through chat roulette. And essentially the way it would start is it's obviously it's a video recording. It's not like a person, an actual person. And it's a girl taking off her shirt in like a seductive way. And then she is suddenly possessed and like attacking the camera. And then all of a sudden it like pops up with info about the film. And I think that's a Um, really good, I, I think that's a hilarious idea for that time. It's very like true for the time too yeah because like chat roulette was a big thing when the last exorcist came out yeah um they're actually people are actually saying that um they don't think the film would have had the same level of success without that marketing campaign because the Mm -hmm. the, it didn't even do that well right when it came out but if you think about how like that's such a timestamp for like what internet culture was at the time with chat roulette specifically. Yeah. Another one I saw that was similar, and this was the main one of the other ones I kind of forgot about. Uh, this movie came out when I was an intern out here, I think, maybe a little bit after that. Your next movie. Where they're all in like the animal masks and it's like a murder home invasion type movie. Mm -hmm. All of the, a lot of the campaigns for it. No, it's called Your Next. Oh, okay. Um, What they did is all in a lot of the other movies that were coming out around the same time. If you went to a movie theater, they would have an ad for whatever movie it was. And they superimposed in like super like minimal image one of the characters in like the masks with an axe or something. So it looked like when you're looking into these because they have like the reflective cover, it looked like they were standing behind you while you're looking at this other movie poster. That's terrifying, right? Um, I I actually saw that I saw that one of those in theaters, and I about shit myself. So, (laughs) um. That kind of reminds me of what they did for The Ring. Um, so the marketing strategy for The Ring was they had the tape that mm-hmm. you watch. Uh, and they played it as a commercial with no context. And that was it. And they did that for like a month. And the whole idea was like they wanted to do that. And people would just like go on with their day and be like, what the fuck was that? And forget about it. And then... Like, you would see the ring and be like, oh, shit, I saw that video. Yeah. Um, but they also took, the like, a physical VHS of the video and would, like, leave it in places under, like, movie theaters, on windshields, things like that. And, like, people would take it home and watch it. And it would direct people to, like, a series of disturbing websites, um, including, like, the site, uh, including a site of, like, a murderer who would become victim of the tape to, like, just mm-hmm. terrify people. There was something else. And, like, since then, they've denied they did this. 
Yeah, um, that's that what I was going like... to say. They definitely have like tried to say that they didn't do anything with it. And there were like creepy websites along with it. And they've come out being like, oh, we had nothing to do with that. And they absolutely did. Yeah. And um, the internet eventually did like find them. And yeah. It's like, you guys definitely did this. <laughs> Yes, yeah, somebody found the archived pages for whatever the website was. I'm clicking yeah. on it now, so we're going to see if I can, what happens. <laughs> I feel like this is a bad idea, but well, whatever. I'm gonna find uh, some, I mean, I do think it's a bad idea. Because... I'm going to find some hot MILFs in my area, probably. You know these websites are <laughs> sus as hell. That's so funny. All right, my computer's too slow. No, uh, well, no hot singles hot in my area to talk to tonight. Um, okay, so we covered a lot of like modern ones. Do you have any like ones that you thought were like really fun that you were like remember? Well, there's one that I actually I remember seeing like the YouTube video of it. And I actually did some additional digging on this. So a lot of um, a lot of these like viral horror campaigns are actually done by the same company. Um, they're called Think Moto, and they do like these. They don't just do horror, but a lot of the ones you would have seen the last probably ten years or so are made by them. That like it's like something, and they have some actors, some real people, yeah. like the smile thing people thought could have been think moto but i don't think it was because it was too low budget for that um they did the telekinetic coffee shop back when the carrie reboot came out and so basically what happened is um took a coffee shop that's actually just like a film set and they were like a girl had the power to move things and she like drags a guy up the wall and it's she's obviously an actor and he's an actor like she throws a table across the room. Oh, you know. I've seen these. Yeah. yeah. And basically there's it's people in this coffee shop reacting to this yeah. like scene that's happening. And it's an ad for the new Carrie movie. <laughs> I actually forgot about the Komodo because they did like a they did a ring one as well where mm-hmm. like at an electronic store there was like a fake TV. Yep, I and found that a contortionist, one too. Um and like she would climb out of the TV and grab people. Yeah. That was uh, when they did Rings, which was a couple years ago. Yeah. They also did the same thing. So they did for Devil's Due. They had like a robotic satanic baby in a carriage that would like scare, sit up and scare people if they looked in the baby carriage. Because Devil's Due is basically like a, another version of Rosemary's Baby. Got it. Got it. It's like if, if it is the most. Hold on. You need to look this thing up because it looks so fake, but it uh, looks no, so horrifying. Yeah, link. It, it's like Renesme, basically bad. Uh, there was another one that I saw. They did another similar type thing. This they did a couple of them um, around different releases for The Walking Dead. Oh, I saw one, I think I saw it on TikTok, and I forget what video game it was for, 
But basically what they did is like in the middle of this, like, I don't know if it was Times Square or in the middle of like the city square, they had a guy in a clear glass box on a platform. Uh And eventually he like turns into a zombie. And you're like watching this man in this isolated box. He's like trying to break out and he's like turning into a zombie. And at one point the thing hit like you see it break and the whole thing fills with smoke. And then like all of a sudden he's like fully a zombie trying to break out. And it's like real this really cool marketing thing. It's for a video game, but I forget what it was. Okay. Um, Well, this one I forgot about. So um, as a promotion for the village, uh, the sci-fi channel released uh an unauthorized uh documentary on m night Shyamalan, and i don't i don't know if you know this but like i remember it it basically said that like he died or drowned as a child and was revived so that now he can speak to the dead i remember that i actually thought that was a real thing i also thought that was real um but all this other stuff came out about it were like he didn't want to do it and like on any of the interviews as it like became more and more personal. But um, apparently the whole thing was fake and like he was part of it from the beginning as part of like a viral attempt at a viral marketing campaign for like drumming up interest in the village, which was not a good movie. No, it was not a good movie. Yeah. I fully thought that he could talk to the dead. <laughs> I thought he did. I thought he thought he could. I didn't think he actually could, but. I don't know. How was I supposed to know any better? Um, I had another one pulled up to reference. Oh, so follow up to the last exorcism when they did the chat roulette one. Mm-hmm. They did a similar stunt, um, obviously on a much smaller scale than the chat roulette one where they did it in like a beauty parlor and essentially you would like look over in the mirror and there's like uh, a demon possessed woman looking back at you. They actually brought one of the hosts of the today show uh, into that place and made her go through the experience. I hate that. Yeah. I, would too oh i'm also seeing um i didn't even see this until just now they referenced cloverfield on this one website yeah i forgot about that but that was like sort of around the the time where like they would make fake social media accounts yeah. for characters and like mm-hmm. they'd have like, this whole story being told based on that and, like they'd link to each other and like it's someone's top eight they'd be the other ones um, and i kind of miss things like that I liked a little bit of mystery. So they're saying specifically that when they were first releasing Cloverfield, um, the very first time a trailer for the movie ever came out was right before the very first Transformers. So this would have been Mm -hmm. 2007. The trailer did not include a title, did not say what it was. And all it said was in theaters one eighteen oh eight. Yeah. I remember not knowing anything about this and then seeing it and being like, this was terrible watch it's a terrible movie Um, that like talking about the social media thing just brings me like full circle sort of to one of my favorite things that has happened in like promotion of a horror psychological horror thing um so joe keery ran a tiktok account called kurt's world 
Oh, um, that movie that he's in where he's that movie is crazy. Where he's, like a, he's like an Uber driver and like kidnaps people. Yes. Yeah. So he's like running this TikTok account and it's like Joe Keery, but he's like after he's playing as this guy Kurt and he's making TikToks of like people like he's like an Uber driver. And they're like TikToks of people in his car that he's like fucking with. And yeah. it was like all promo for this movie that he did. And I think that was probably one of the first times I can think of it happening, like as using TikTok as a way to like like gorilla promote a film like that. But uh, I just remember that that happened. I was like, "What the fuck is Joe Carey doing?" Well, it 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 it's hard because especially like us, we're like we know who that is. Like it's right. It'd be different. Like, well, I, I would argue most people do know who that is because he's Steve Harrington. So like it's it's. It's obviously, like, fake, but yeah. I do, like, it was a very, like, clever way to have used TikTok. Yeah. Um, two things that I'm finding right now that I'm looking at in relation to the It franchise when it started in 2017. So one of the things they were doing to help promote it was they would, like, at sewer grates, they would just put mm-hmm. a red balloon and they have, like, you know, spray paint on the sidewalk basically saying, like, when it was coming out yeah and there's one more thing it basically was like making the red balloon thing like the icon of the film right so it was to help scare help keep people invested in it and one of the other things that happened in regards to that movie is there was a it's entirely fake it's come out since that it was done in publicity for the movie there was a thing about clowns boycotting the film. Mm-hmm. And that was turned out to be fake. But I think that whole clown thing in 2016 was a secret viral marketing thing. I don't know. No, if uh, so it actually is. I am looking it up now. Um, and Wikipedia says the 2016 clown sightings were reports of people disguised as evil clowns in like incongruous settings, like near forests mm-hmm. and schools. Um, and it has then since been confirmed it was part of a viral marketing campaign. For it? I assume it's for it. This website doesn't tell me where. That seems, it'd be, what would it be for otherwise? Because it came out in 2017. 2016. Uh, it. No, 16. Yeah, Vox says it's also a hoax. One that was one of the scariest things that's ever happened in society, so... I remember, like, being terrified of, like, the fact that I was going to get murdered by clowns. I remember just being afraid that I was going to, I hate clowns, so that I was going to run into one. Um, another... So, I'm reading this now, and apparently, there were never any clown sightings. Like, all of it was fake. No! I was so scared! So all of it was fake. There were never actually like clown sightings. People like it was just part of like a campaign to like say that there were. Okay, but there's a and map then, but then, of all the wait, creepy clown sightings. The the funny thing is, is then like then it started to like snowball and become real. Oh, so like fuck. people did start committing crimes wearing clown costumes. 
because of this, but it was unrelated. There were 60 clown crime sightings and threats between August and October of 2016. Yeah. Because, like, the first the first wave of it happening was fake. And then people started to, like, run with it, I guess. God, I hate people. That was horrifying. I legitimately thought I was going to get murdered. I cannot find a natural answer if this was, like, marketing for it, though. I hate it so much. Everything just says it's hoax and, like... Yeah, I hate that. No thanks. Um, Another one, it's not quite the same kind of guerrilla marketing, but um, I'm reading that one of the reasons that Hereditary kind of took off so quickly because they didn't really have a huge, huge budget. What they did is they would give people that attended the movie like creepy dolls. And it said, take mm-hmm. care of, or will you take care of this for me? XO Charlie. Yeah. That's the girl that dies at the beginning of Hereditary. Um, and they're like really freaky looking things. Um, it says like somebody said this was waiting outside of my hotel room. And it was like obviously like a media promotional thing, but that definitely, you know, got a lot of people interested in seeing this movie because it was super creepy somebody someone else is like a a youtube guy said i got home to find this creepy shit in my front porch no postage somebody hide me i do kind of feel like people just love scaring other people too yeah it's kind of like the clown thing and yeah if you got this doll you'd fucking ruin someone's life yeah um i did confirm so the theory is that it's it. The filmmakers have said it's not. They're not like they didn't do any of that. But I also think that they're probably lying. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like the ring, and we find out later that it was the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's been six years, so I would hope that we know by now. Yeah. Um. I think the the last one I want to talk about was uh, Psycho. I think this um, is a really interesting way to promote a movie. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, do you want to talk about it then? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, so with Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock basically wouldn't let people enter the movie late. Mm-hmm. Um, as part, like, it wasn't even really a marketing campaign. It was just like his opinion was you could not come in late to this movie because you would. It would, like, ruin the movie for you. And I can't remember the actress's name that dies very early on. Oh, uh... Is that... Uh, Janet Lee. Yeah. It's Jamie Lee Curtis's um, mother. Yeah, so Janet Lee dies so early on, um, and it was considered, like, a really groundbreaking move because she's the star of the movie. and mm-hmm. um, She was advertised to be the star the of the poster. movie. Yeah, yeah. advertised it on the poster um, and they kill her off so quickly. Like he didn't want the movie to be ruined if you turn, if you came in late, um, which I don't really understand how you stop people from getting in there, but it was a different time. So maybe yeah. you could. Uh, and so that's kind of like what he did. He was very like secretive about it. And that kind of drummed up some excitement about the movie. 
Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I also was reading something where and I can't find it now. I was looking at it earlier. Um, before the early, early screenings, there was a lot of media of um, Hitchcock in front of the Bates Motel trying to like make it be viewed as something that's actually real when it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing. shower at the Bates Motel. Yeah. Tell that to Better Oblivion Community Club. Uh, better batter cake batter. <laughs> better batter cake batter. Better uh, brownie cake batter. One thing I kind of want to talk about as we tie this up is when movie marketing goes wrong mm-hmm. and they kind of target the wrong demographic. I know exactly what movie you're talking about. Well, the, actually, I'm going to start with something else and then I'm going to go into what you're talking about. So... Um, when It Follows came out in 2017, like, have you, you've seen It Follows, right? I have, and I've seen the trailer and I had no idea what that was about. Right. Also, same with the Babadook. The trailer, like, doesn't really say much, but they, the typical, like, the typical group of people that I'm reading that is the target audience, whether or not it's the actual audience, advertisers for horror target 15 to 25 year olds. Which seems young, right? Because a lot of us that watch horror fan- or movies are older. Or people I that really think... like horror are even older than we are. I think that 15 to 25-year-olds is somewhat accurate for, like, bad horror, too. Mm. Like, I think that people older like good horror. And so we're not going to just go see everything. Whereas, like, a 15 to 25-year-old age group might just go see. Regardless of, like, if it's going to be good or not. But one of the things that they were saying happened with It Follows is that, you know, they had created this type of marketing campaign and this advertising, you know, targeting the typical audience of 15 to 25 year old males. And they said the reason for that was that the main characters within the film are in the similar age range. And so the initial tactics were to file, you know, follow their pattern Um and compare it to other horror movies, but you know, that age range didn't, it got really negative reviews at first. And then they kind of re-scoped their, all of their advertising for it to 25 and up. And then once it reached, cause it follows is a great movie, but mm-hmm. I'm not a 15 to 25 year old male. So I wouldn't have necessarily yeah, seen that targeting. Right. And so they had to pivot all their targeting for it. And then as soon as that change happened in their advertising, film got great reviews. Because the right people were going to see the movie. And that is what leads me to discuss one of my favorite horror movies of all time, which was an absolute flop in the theater, but is an absolute cult classic today. It's like one of the biggest, one of my, it, I have like two favorite cult classics. Uh, it's one of those two. So Jennifer's Body, when it came out, um, all of the marketing is basically being like Megan Fox is hot. She eats boys. Well, She's I hot. Don't even, I don't even remember it being marketed as she eats boys. I just remember it being marketed as Megan Fox is hot. Look at Megan Fox be hot. Look at Megan Fox wear like no clothes. She's de- uh, she's possessed by a and demon, demon and she's hot. Right. And then there was like this rumor that like you saw her naked or topless or something that was going around, which not true. Yes. Oh my God. I completely remember that now. Yes. Right. That does and then not I think happen. One of the, 
one of the trailers shows her kissing Amanda Seyfried. I'm I'm pretty sure. And so like it was just sort of like it was marketed as like a teen boy movie when yeah. it's actually like the movie itself um like similarly to Cody Diablo like is targeted towards young women. Yeah. And women in general, but they marketed it as like targeted towards boys and it just flopped. Because, like, here's Megan Fox being hot and, like, just killing men. And, like, guys don't want to see that. Yeah. And then the movie's actually... movie's amazing. The movie's fantastic. It's actually, like, a heavy feminist movie. It is. It's also very popular within the queer community as well. Well, yeah. I get that. But it's just they completely missed the mark and the movie flopped. So I think by learning from things like that, marketing moving forward needs to do a better job of understanding who the actual audience is rather than trying to just tried and true horror formula of 15 to 25 year old men. I agree. I agree. I mean, the other, before we end, I do want to talk about like the horror movies that give you no idea of what. Oh yeah. Um, and I think the most recent, what? You mean the Babadook? <laughs> yes, the Babadook. I had no idea what that was about. I didn't uh, know that they were saying. an LGBTQ plus icon until Netflix told me. And I then I the had Babadook to watch it. He is a single um, father out here trying to live his best life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll end it with this one. But I just wanted to quickly talk about uh, Nope mm-hmm. um, by Jordan Peele. Because, I mean, I went to go see it because it's Jordan Peele. But I will argue trailers advertising had no idea what this movie was going to be about and like i remember like people theorizing like the entire time in the theater were like okay well what's the like what's the villain here like what's the bad guy like what's the what's the horror aspect of it uh and having no idea until halfway through the movie in a way that's done right though like i think the whole point is that it's like about overexposure Mm -hmm. Um, and he does a really good job. He did a really good job of kind of advertising in a way that was underexposed and like furthering the point of the movie. Um, so just wanted to do that one real quick, but yes, the Babadook, nope. Both movies that have Cloverfield in a bad way. Yeah. Cloverfield movies that had no advertising, no idea of what things are about. I think the ending in a nope was a good idea. Like, that's that's a good one. Cause that's also a recent movie. So that's a good one. We started with a recent movie. We ended with a recent movie. We made it. We we closed the circle. That was a hard mess. Oh, I was gonna say, what are you doing? <laughs> I was trying to do a circle, but I did a bad job. Okay, so with that, I think that covers it for this episode. Yeah. So uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five star rating. And if you're feeling extra saucy, you can write us a review. Um, if you're not totally comfortable leaving us a written review. Interact with us on social media, uh, listen through the song, and you'll hear all of that info. Um, And yeah, we will talk more spooky Halloween stuff next time. All right, that was the episode. So we love hearing from you, um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. 
We are also on Facebook at Drunken Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.